Our job is to, is to grow the business as much as possible to the extent that the community wants it. Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report. A company vying to take over management of Ketchikan's downtown cruise port answers questions about its bid. Alaskans turn out to support state ferries. And a new study says dead cedar trees could have business potential. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Tonight we'll have rain, it may be heavy at times, lows in the mid-30s, southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. Tomorrow, widespread rain showers, highs in the mid-40s, southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. Tomorrow night, scattered rain and snow showers, lows in the mid-30s, northeast winds to 10 miles an hour. Friday, rain and a chance of snow, highs around 40, east winds to 10 miles an hour. And Friday night, rain with lows in the mid-30s and southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Eric Stone. Three companies are vying to take over management of Ketchikan city-owned cruise ship docks. One of those is Global Ports Holding. That's a company that manages cruise ports in the Mediterranean, the Caribbean, and Asia. Colin Murphy, a Global Ports executive, held meetings with tour operators and port retailers last week at the Cape Fox Lodge. Murphy also sat down with KRBD. I started the interview by asking Murphy why he thinks his company would be the best to manage Ketchikan's docks. He says the city would be best served by having an independent port operator. Um, our bid is not uh, in partnership with any particular cruise lines. We, we feel that the best way to maximize um, the facilities that are owned by the city is to manage those independently and make decisions which are based on the interests of the city and of the government and not necessarily um, what's in the interest of other people. So we think an independent operator managing on an open access basis where we, we get to the city and, and us hopefully get to make the decisions on which ships come to the port is, is, is the way to go for sure. A lot of people here see the docks as sort of a public good. They're, you know, they're owned by the local taxpayers and managed in the local taxpayers' interest. And if the taxpayers don't like how the docks are being managed, they replace the people in charge of it, you know, the city council. Um, how, how would you make sure that the community has a voice in, in how the docks are used? For, I'll, I'll give you an example based on recent experience in the Bahamas, in the Port of Nassau. So we have several advisory committees. We have a transportation advisory committee made up of tour operators and taxi drivers. We have a water taxi advisory committee. We have a retail advisory committee. We have a design advisory committee. So we need to do this project in collaboration with the, with the community. We can't just, we're not just coming in and imposing our view of what we think is the right thing to do. It has to be done in collaboration with the community. So at, at every stage through the design, um, people would be, the council and the, um, the citizens would be appraised. I think also another point I'd, I'd like to make is about employment. Um, our intent is to hire the city employees that are currently uh, running the port, those that wish to come to us, um, and so that we've got local management. So it's, we're, yes, we're an international company, um, but this will be a local solution so that hopefully there will be no change in, in terms of who's working at the port. Most of the services there will be provided by um, local companies. Um, and that's so it will be a local solution. It won't be a sort of an international brand with lots of international guys coming in to run it. Most people won't notice the difference, frankly, in who's working on the port. So I want to get a sense of what your vision is for the port. Are we talking about like new buildings or other changes? What's what's your vision for the port? Well, I think we we don't have a fully developed vision because our our vision needs to be built in conjunction with the community. So we're not coming in and saying this is what 
we will do here because we know everything and we're the, we're the best. We're saying that we think that we can add value, that we have a lot of experience in different communities designing a solution that is best for them. So the, the Nassau solution is very, very different from what will be done in, in Ketchikan. That was, but really it was an example of how we respond to the needs of the community and we deliver um, what they're asking for. In Nassau, they had specific requirements. They wanted to revitalize the downtown area. They wanted to make it a bit more interesting for locals and for hotel guests, not just for cruise guests. So that solution was really designed for them. Once we have input from the community, whatever we do down, uh, down in the port area, which is very small, will be designed um, in conjunction with the community. So obviously, to protect the, the valuable uh, Ketchikan brand and the Alaska brand is super important. So we wouldn't do anything that doesn't enhance that. That's, that's the intent. One of the arguments that I've heard against going into a concession agreement with somebody is that uh, a uh, a company like Global Ports Holding has the incentive to to drive more passengers and more passengers and more passengers. Would you ever consider uh, a limit on the number of passengers or a limit on the number of ships? How would you address uh, uh, what people call over-tourism? Well, I think this has to be controlled by the city and, this, and, and the council are the, are the people's representatives and, and, and they will be in charge of these, these issues. Our job is to, is to grow the business as much as possible to the extent that the community wants it. And also to manage it more effectively. You know, it's very, there's lots of little things that can be done to, to minimize the impact on the community. For example, you know, because there's so many new ships coming and the demand for Alaskan berths is so high, and yet the cruise ships all leave Seattle and uh, Vancouver on the same days and they all arrive in Anchorage on the same days. So maybe something can be done to sort of even out demand. So instead of having two or three very peak days and then low demand on other days, maybe that can be balanced out. So that's one way to grow the business uh, without impacting the community ne negatively. And then it's managing the passenger flow, managing the flow of vehicles, managing the, uh, how people meet their tour guides, how they meet their taxes. <clears throat> All the, all this is, there's a sort of a, a jigsaw. There's lots of different moving parts to this puzzle, uh, everything from the ship's arrival time to the tour timing departure and so on, to try and minimize the impact um, on the city. Look, people come here because they want to come to Ketchikan. They want to see the city. They want to interact with the, with the locals. I've spoken to a lot of locals that like interacting with cruise passengers. So, so it's a major economic driver for, so this, for the city. Um, we want to manage it to the extent that the city will allow. Um, but it has to be managed properly, and we're very good at doing that. Well, uh, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm, I enjoyed it. Thank you. That was Colin Murphy of Global Ports Holding. That's one of the companies bidding to take over management of Ketchikan's city-owned cruise ship port. KRBD has reached out to the other two bidders for a similar interview. SurveyPoint Holdings declined an interview, and SSA Marine so far hasn't responded to interview requests. Enough is enough. Hundreds of people rallied around the state Tuesday to restore Alaska Marine Highway System regional ferry service. The fleet has largely been idle since the last mainliner in service broke down last month. In Juneau, elected state and tribal leaders told the 200 people gathered around the Capitol steps that for smaller coastal communities, regular ferry connections are a matter of survival. Clickett and Haida tribal president Richard Peterson and Senator Jesse Keel say it's not a lifestyle option. People who have no idea, who come from a place of privilege, say, well, that's your choice. Well, they don't know what it's like to be born in a community 
and to be able to say for 10,000 years yep. my forefathers were born in this area, we have no reason that we need to move. Store shelves in Alaskan communities shouldn't be empty when we've got docks and we've got vessels and we've got skilled people to run them. In Ketchikan, about 60 people turned out. Some of them were state ferry workers left high and dry by the shutdown. Wade McLennan works on the Columbia, which has been tied up since last fall. In the meantime, he's not drawing a paycheck. There's a lot of uncertainties uh, because, you know, we depend on our benefits. And, uh, you know, when you're the breadwinner of your family, it, you know, there's un the uncertainty how there is right now. It just causes a lot of anxiety. In Kodiak, about 10 people gathered near the city's ferry dock. Many were retirees who came by ferry decades ago. Robin Cassidy is a retired bookkeeper who stepped off the ferry when she was 13. This is our highway. This is infrastructure. This isn't something special. Uh, we don't have any other highway, and it needs to be funded in full and quickly. In downtown Haines, more than 200 people gathered to show their support for the system. Luck Dunbar and his son Archie held a sign with a hand-drawn portrait of President Trump in his characteristic red ball cap. They had a new take on Trump's campaign slogan. We're trying to get through to the people that uh, kind of run the show, you know. It's kind of a kind of a something off the MAGA hat, but it says make our fairies great again. Mofka. And uh, yeah, just having a little fun. Limited regional ferry service is scheduled to resume next month. But under a draft schedule released last month, some coastal communities could go without any service through the end of the year. Governor Dunleavy has requested $12 million for supplemental ferry funding, but DOT officials told lawmakers this month that the money is needed for the existing bare-bones schedule and would not expand service. Yellow cedar grows from the northern tip of California all the way to southeast Alaska. It's a commercially valuable tree species for the timber industry. But there are fewer living trees growing across the range because of climate change. From Alaska's Energy Desk, Elizabeth Jenkins has the story of a recent study which explores the business potential of harvesting dead trees. Salvage logging is harvesting trees that are already dead. It sounds eco-conscious, like something that would be cataloged beside reclaimed wood. But Brian Buma thinks that's a stretch. I have to say, I really hate that term <laughs> because dead trees are just as important to ecosystems as live trees. Buma is an ecologist with the University of Colorado. He's not totally opposed to logging, but he is concerned about the number of ways humans are contributing to yellow cedar's decline. For instance, through climate change. Normally, snow helps insulate the tree's roots, but rain combined with cold snaps can freeze yellow cedar roots, causing them to die. In total, about 7% of the species has died across its range. So on one hand, you don't want people cutting down live yellow cedar um, because there's, you know, it's dying, and so we want to conserve it where it's still alive. But on the other hand, you don't want to take away a valuable resource for the community. Like Buma, the U.S. Forest Service also wondered about this new inventory of climate change-killed trees. The region's timber industry is struggling. And there's been a long debate about whether or not the federal agency is doing enough to help it survive. Past studies indicate yellow cedar that's been dead for decades can be just as good for making stuff as living trees. The species is famous for being resistant to rot. So together, ecologists and foresters set up a task for five sawmills on Prince of Wales and Cupernoff Island. 
Buma says they wanted to know, Does this dead stuff work as well in practice um, as it seems to, you know, on paper? And just see how it goes. Kevin Mary participated in this experiment. He's the owner of Kupernoff Lumber and Design, a small mill which runs on a shoestring budget. Put all kinds of knots in that shoestring to, to actually be able to do it. The Forest Service handled the fees for harvesting the dead yellow cedar, and Mary cut the trees along the road and cake himself. He says the trees were spread out, so harvesting them was labor and time intensive. And some of the yellow cedar was too degraded to mill. But Mary was able to find markets. At that time, I was sent, I sent a little bit of it down to the guy in Florida making turkey calls. Some of it, some more of it was used by some wood carvers. Uh, some of it ended up being firewood. In the end, Mary's costs were higher than his gross revenue. But of the five mills in this experiment, three of them actually did okay. Brian Buma from before says the results were kind of a mixed bag. Still, it proves you can make money on a species of dying trees. It's not like this is going to suddenly support a bunch of new jobs. You know, this is just sort of a a way to protect the species um, while doing some damage, but not a ton of damage to the ecosystem. And Buma thinks that might be the marketing key to creating a high-value product. For example, beetle-killed pine found in western parts of the United States has gained in popularity. Why not climate change-killed wood? If that's the story of our time, some people might want to own a piece of it. I think it's interesting. I got laughed at when I told some of the folks in Southeast. They thought that was silly. Still, Buma says he would be a potential customer. And there's at least one small sawmill in the region that makes guitar tops from salvaged trees. They even use dead yellow cedar for that. But they currently don't have any plans to expand that part of their business. From Alaska's Energy Desk, I'm Elizabeth Jenkins in Juneau. That's it for tonight's KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for listening. I've been your host, Eric Stone.